0: Hey there, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us for our study in the Gospel of Mark. We pray that it blesses you and that your mind is blown as you encounter Jesus Christ in a fresh new way. If you're looking for more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. But I wanna ask us some questions as we get started. Are you growing Like, are are you becoming more like Jesus? Like, are you more like Jesus now than you were two years ago? Let's just use that as as a foundation place. Let me just ask a couple of evaluation questions, just to help us flesh this out a little bit and drill down a little further. Are you more generous than you were two years ago? More generous with your time, with your money, with yourself? Uh, How about um, self-controlled? Are you more self-controlled than with your eating, with your drinking, with your language, your sexual thoughts, emotions, feelings? How about your soul? Is your soul more at rest? You know, like when everything else gets quiet, is your soul quiet too? Are, Are you settled or unsettled? Sometimes that's a good way to think about your soul. We have that unsettled feeling. That's your soul. Uh, How about your private life? Is your private life in order, more in order than it was two years ago? Like we were to follow you around with a camera all day. Would there be anything that surprised us about you? Like, whoo! can't show that to the kids, (laughs) right? No? How about your relationships? Are they more satisfying than they were two years ago or less satisfying? Are they more life-giving or more life-draining? How about the mission? Let's talk about the mission. Like how are you doing on the mission that Jesus has given to us to do? Are you making disciples? Is there anyone else who would say, I'm closer to Jesus because of you? The mission, like how are you doing on the mission? How about your priorities? Have they changed for the better? Or are they still basically the same as they were two years ago? And notice what I'm not asking. I'm not asking if you're reading your Bible more or praying more or going to church more. Do you notice that? Those things are good. They really are. But they're not a true measurement of genuine heart change. Your heart can be all messed up and still increase in those activities. The tricky thing you see in becoming more like Jesus is that it's not something that we can measure is it? But here's the deal. It's not measurable, but it is noticeable. It is. If positive changes are taking place in your life, it's noticeable. And the people around you typically can see it, and sometimes you even get comments like, huh, something's different about you. They notice it. You can't measure it, but you can notice it. See, that's why I ask then, Are you any more like Jesus now than you were two years ago? You see, being a Christian means that you follow Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, he rubs off on you. And over time, if you follow Jesus, you look more and more and more like him. So if you're not more like him, if it's still the same old you, same old attitude, same old feelings, same old bad language, same old behavior, same old thoughts then, friend, you're not following Jesus. You're following your idea of Jesus. Now, I know that's a rough introduction. You go, wow, usually you start with a nice story. (laughs) I know I ripped the Band-Aid off quickly, but it's a setup here to Mark chapter 4. Because you see, as easy as it is for us to follow Jesus with wrong motives, it was even more challenging for the people of Jesus' day who had Jesus right in front of them. Can you appreciate that? Like, can you just imagine you have Jesus in the flesh right in front of you, and he's healing, and he's doing miracles, and he's passing out free food, and he's paying taxes with coins that you find in a fish's mouth. Like, you know what I mean? Like, wow, who wouldn't want to get a piece of that? You know what I mean? Can you see it? It's it's April 15th. Um, Jesus... You want to go fishing? <laughs> right. We could use, that'd be a great way to pay my taxes every year, wouldn't it? Yeah. It'd be super tempting to only relate to Jesus as a problem solver, wouldn't it? And so Jesus tells a story that's meant to expose our thoughts and expose our hearts. And it's intended to bring us into a deeper connection with him. So this is what we find in Mark chapter 4. So let me ask this question before we read the story. If you're following Jesus for the wrong reasons, do you want to know it? Do you want that to be exposed about yourself? Or are you content living in the darkness? See? If, so we come into chapter 4, and Jesus is teaching this huge crowd. So big, in fact, that chapter 4, verse 1 tells us Jesus has to get in a boat, In order to get some distance, put himself in the water, the crowd stays on the shore so that he can teach them. In Mark chapter 4, verse 2, it says that Jesus taught them many things in parables. Parables. What are those? Parables. The Gospels record 52 parables of Jesus. So it's the way that he taught. A parable, one scholar defines them as. Comparisons, similitudes, and stories used to disrupt our thinking and to invite us to reconsider reality. Parables are not fables where animals talk and tortoises beat rabbits in races. Parables are not allegories where every detail has significance. Parables are prophetic instruments that show us reality from God's point of view. They're simple in detail, common in image, indirect in the message. Soren Kierkegaard, philosopher, says they are meant to deceive you into the truth. I kind of like that. What he means by that is they have this way of drawing you in, and then you start to think about it, and then kapow, you're smacked right in the face with the truth of it. The truth hits you. And this is the brilliance of Jesus as a teacher. Simple stories that expose our hearts and bring us deeper if we're willing to let that happen. And so let's look at this parable. We come to Mark chapter 4. I'll just read verses 1 through 12, okay? It says, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow a seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil, It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. End of sermon. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Let's just continue. Then Jesus said, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So now before we talk about what Jesus said, let's just take a quick look and appreciate what Jesus did, okay? How would you respond if this was how I preached? Okay, everybody, thanks for coming. Listen, there's a farmer, he had some seed. He threw it on the ground. Some of it fell on some hard soil, the birds came and ate it. Some fell on some shallow soil, grew up, but then the sun came up and died. Some fell on other soil, but it was thorny, the thorns came up, choked it out, died. And then some seed fell on some really good soil and it produced a crop 30, 60, 100 times. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Thank you for coming. (laughs) See, now you're like, that is the weirdest sermon ever. Who would ever preach that way? Precisely. Jesus is doing this on purpose, Jesus is baiting the hook. You see, after, after a bit, the disciples come to him, and they say, um, Jesus, what was that? And Jesus then explains it to them in verses 11 and 12. Jesus says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. Now, you and I read this and we think exclusion and we're not comfortable with that. Like Jesus has some kind of secret club and there's a secret handshake and there's insiders and there's outsiders and only privileged people get it. That's kind of how we read this and that's not what's happening at all, okay? The brilliance of a parable is this, that it conceals at the same time that it reveals. A parable conceals truth so that if you don't want truth, If you're in that crowd and you're just following Jesus for the freebies, you go, that was weird, and you walk away. But it also reveals. Parables reveal those who genuinely want more of Jesus. Parables test our spiritual appetite. So Jesus taught in a way that sifted out The shallow motives and he brought out the truly committed disciples because you see a disciple wants more and so they dig in and if you don't want more you just walk away now see this is important don't miss this because the difference between a disciple and everybody else was not understanding It's not as though the disciples, like, you know, like they got it and everybody else didn't. You know, the disciples weren't standing here going, oh, that is cool, Jesus. That is so deep. Wow. And everybody else is going, what's wow? What's cool? I don't get it. What's happening? That's not what was going on here. Notice the disciples didn't understand either. Did you catch that? That's the point. The disciples didn't get it. But who came to Jesus for more? the disciples. And that's exactly what he's doing. You see, having understanding, being able to get it, that's not what makes you a disciple. What makes you a disciple of Jesus is a desire to dig deeper. is a refusal to stay at this, I don't get it stage, and dig deeper in order to understand it. That's what makes a disciple, someone who's hungry. You're right, brother, hungry, See? So here's a question. Are you a disciple? Let's just be, let's just be, um, well, really blunt and honest. Like, what will you do with this message this morning? I don't mean to be negative, but I kind of know how this works. I've been in church my whole life, so I know what happens. Here's what most of us will do. We'll take our Bibles we'll leave this place, we'll put them underneath the front seat of our car so they're nice and handy for next Sunday, and we'll forget all about this. Oh, if you're in a life group, maybe you'll keep your Bible in your journal there until life group, and then you'll put it under your front seat, and it'll be ready for next week. But either way, the results are the same. And whatever you don't understand, you'll just let it go. And whatever you do understand, you'll probably forget. Because that's how it usually works with most of us, isn't it? But can I tell you, that's not how a true disciple behaves. A true disciple takes this, they dig into it, they're like, huh. So Matthew also told the parable of the sower. I wonder what Matthew said. Luke also said the parable. I wonder what Luke said with the parable of the sower. See, that's what a <laughs> disciple does. A disciple goes out to coffee with somebody and says, hey, you know, I've been thinking about Sunday morning. here's what God's talking to me about. What's God talking to you about? We process it. That's how a disciple behaves. You tracking? And that's the person that grows. Now, starting in verse 13, Jesus begins to explain the parable to those who asked, okay? And it breaks down simply this way. You've got a farmer, some seed, and four types of soil. He had a farmer, some seed, and four types of soil. So here's, the rest, here's our outline for the rest of this morning. Who's the farmer? What's the seed? Who are the soils? If you like outlines, there's your outline, nice and simple today, okay? Who's the farmer? Verse 14 says, the farmer sows the word. So I think we can just safely just say this, ultimately, the farmer is God. It's, it's Jesus in this context. Jesus is, he's the one sharing the word, isn't he? So God is the ultimate farmer, friends. So let's be clear, right? He, he has the missionary heart. Like God wants everyone to come to know the freedom and the forgiveness that he offers in Jesus. This is his heart. 1 Timothy 2.4 says that he wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So that's God's heart. Ultimately, he's the farmer. But I think you can also safely say that you and I could be the farmer as well. That a farmer, just to use this analogy, is every faithful Christian who is striving to live their life with gospel intentionality. That's the farmer sowing the seed. You're, you're out there, you're just a normal person, like you and me, normal person, you're just trying to spread the good news of Jesus everywhere you go. Like, that's the farmer. So in one sense, it's, ultimately it's God, but less than that, it's you and me. You see that? And, and if this seems overwhelming, just let me let me just encourage you this morning. Because you're like, oh man, okay, this is one of those sermons where I got to go preach to everybody. Okay, if you're if you're getting nervous, let me just just encourage you with these two things. Here's all it takes to be an effective farmer. Ready? You just need to be awake, and you need to be you need to assume. You need to make an assumption. First, you need to be awake. You need to have your eyes open to the people around you. Do you see them? People are everywhere. And do you see the need? People who need Jesus are everywhere, right? So I open my eyes, be awake to it. The second thing I need is to assume. Assume that God is at work all around you, because he is. Assume that that the neighbors you have are there on purpose. Assume that, that it's not an accident that you have the neighbors that you do. It's, It's not an accident that you share the cubicle with your coworker that you do. It's not an accident that that you're standing in the checkout line with these people on this day. Like, that's not an accident. God is intentional. God is purposeful. God is at work. And God has placed you, his man or his woman, in that spot at that time, see? So I just need to be awake and I need to assume to be a good sower. So friends, get sowing. Come on, farmer, my farming friends. Let's get busy throwing some seed out there, right? Now you go, what is the seed? Well, that's the next question. Verse 14 defines it for us very clearly. The farmer sows what? The word. So the seed is the word of God. That's the seed. And this is good news for us if we're reluctant farmers. Think about it your job is simply to sow seed. The word of God is like seed. And seeds are two things seeds are small, and seeds are powerful. What two things are seeds, everybody? Small and powerful. They're small. You can drop a seed without anybody hardly noticing it. And you can carry them with you everywhere you go. How about this? Like you ask a subtle question to someone just to make them think, You just dropped a seed. You tell a friend, Hey, you know, I'm praying for you today. You just dropped another seed. How about, how about just an encouraging word? There's another seed. You know I, I know, I know teachers that have posters in their rooms of Bible verses on them, and kids just think they're cool quotes. There's some more seeds. Right? How about, how about uh, recommending a good Christian book to a friend? There's a seed. You know, I, I have a friend that's into philosophy, and so I got him to read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. He isn't saved yet, but I sure did drop a big seed, didn't I? Right? See what I mean? Seeds. You see how it's simple? It's not complicated. We don't need to overthink this because I believe this, that a seed is also powerful. Aren't they? That seed is bent towards life. That's how God created seeds, didn't he? The word of God is the same thing. It's bent towards life. The seed has no power if it's not planted, but the moment it comes into contact with good soil, it's only a matter of time. True? So you get, get planting, friends. Come on, my farmer friends. Throw the seed out there. Now as you do, you understand that there's four different ways that people will respond to that seed, and these are the four soil types. Now, think about it this way. This has application in two different directions. In one sense, it has application to you and me. How do I respond to the Word of God? Okay, so we can make that personal, can't we? How do I respond to the Word? Sometimes, truthfully, I am all four of these soil types at any given point in time, to be to- totally honest, right? How, it's how I respond. But then also, as I'm the farmer sowing the seed... I need to be aware that these are four different responses to the seed that I share. You following that? So as I talk through this, we're really talking about both of those at the same time. Tracking? Okay. So we're going to just flop back and forth between me and how others uh, respond to it. The four types of soil are this. You got hard, hardened soil. We have shallow soil or rocky soil you have thorny soil, and then you have good soil. Now, it's important to understand, each of these soils does not represent an actual person, okay? So you don't want to be listening to this going, oh, yep, Betty, she's definitely thorny soil. See that's that's not how you want. It. That's not how we're gonna play this, okay? Yeah, poor. I'm not picking on Betty. If your name's Betty, I'm really sorry. You we don't. You don't have thorny soil. I'm sure. Okay. It's not. It's not. You're not. It's not. You're not thorny soil. It's that you're responding like thorny soil. Tracking with that. This is about your response to the word of God. So so that's how we're talking. So first he says the hard soil. That's the first one. This is the heart that doesn't receive the word at all. The seed just lays there on the surface. It never penetrates. And then the birds come and snatch it away. You say, well, what would make my heart hard? Like what would keep me from being able to receive the word of God? Well, a couple things, apathy, apathy, you know, maybe it was a late night last night. Uh, You're tired. You're not feeling so great. You know, maybe uh, you're just bored. Maybe you're here because somebody made you come. You know, maybe. Maybe you're, you're thinking about other things. Thinking about anything other than this right now. Apathy. Or antagonism. Antagonism. You know what's being said. You're hearing every word. You just hate it. You just disagree with it. And you're, you're opposed to it. Like, you don't like it. Like, maybe you don't like me as the preacher. You're like, I don't know, he looks like a bobblehead dog. Huh? You're, you're just picking me apart right and left. Or maybe maybe it's all Christians. You're like, they're just hypocrites. They're bits. And so you're just not listening to anything that's said right now. It's just you're not into it at all. Antagonistic. Or maybe it's distracted. It's possible to be so wrapped up in other things that you simply can't hear God speaking to you right now. You're worried about problems. Your mind is spinning on the latest news. You know, you're upset about Tom Brady's divorce. You're upset about your kid's problems. You're upset about what's happening. in the news. You're upset about, you know, upset, upset. So you hear the word of God, and you might even agree with it, but you can't process it because there's just way too much going on up here right now. Can you see that? That, that could be a, a hard soil, couldn't it? Or, how about the last one? Is this prideful indifference? You're like, yeah, I tried that before. I'm glad that works for you guys. But, you know, I don't really need that. You know, I, I, I don't need a crutch like you guys do. And so, so you know, you, you just hear this and it just bounces off, it doesn't sink in. That's hard soil. And the word of God says has no effect on that person, literally, no effect, because it can't get in. Now, there's another factor at play here that we need to talk about for a second. Jesus mentioned the birds. Did you catch that? On the hard soil, the birds come and they grab the seed and they snatch it and they take it away. Now, verse 15 defines the birds. Do you see what verse 15 says? Jesus says, verse 15, the birds are Satan. Satan comes and he snatches the seed and he takes it away. He steals it. He steals the word from our hearts. So if the seed doesn't get planted in, if it doesn't penetrate beneath the surface, right, The seed just gets stolen, and the devil steals it by lies. Sometimes he steals it by just confusing philosophies that are so prevalent today. It's something that we need to consider. I just want to give a a specific um, word to our our parents this morning, just for a second. You know, Christian parents, I love you. You're doing a great job. Like, you're, you're, you're working hard to plant good seeds in your kids' lives, aren't you? You're, you're teaching them about Jesus at home, family devotions, maybe. You have your prayer times, bringing them to Sunday school. You're sending them to Christian camp. You're sending them to good Christian retreats, maybe youth group. You know, you're paying to send them to Cornerstone, maybe, or whatever, that kind of thing. And, and that's all good things. And you are to be applauded for your efforts as a Christian parent to raise your children in the way of God. But you need to also consider the effect of the birds, and how they can snatch the seed. How many parents, you know, good Christian parents do all these things and then fail to recognize your kid is spending eight hours a day on social media, scrolling through their phone? Or you can do all these good things and yet not bother to vet their teacher at school. Or do all these things, and. And not bother to vet their coach. See what I mean? Like, like the birds can come and snatch these seeds away. And we want to be careful. We want to be vigilant. Counsel your kids like, and help them to be wise about what they watch and what they listen to and who they interact with. Because these are all things that have an impact on the effect of that seed in their little lives. So that's the hard soil. I'm not saying your kid's hard. Just... That was just an extra. Now, the second soil is this, the rocky soil, the the shallow soil. This is the emotional response to God's Word. This is the thing that happens a lot at retreats and summer camp, you know? The mood is right, the music's right, the preacher's right. It's just like, oh, Jesus, I'll be a missionary. Yes! Oh, it's beautiful, with tears at the campfire. And then we get home, and it gets a little hard, and... We just forget, we let it go, we let it slide. This is an emotional response, see? The first time it gets difficult, the first time it costs something, it gets painful, we bail out. Sadly, this is the Christianity that many people have because it's what God sold to you. Hey, you want peace? Hey, you want love? Hey, you want joy? Try Jesus. So you try Jesus. And you give your heart to Jesus because it feels good in that moment, but don't give your mind to Jesus or their strength to Jesus or their habits or their wallets or their mouths or their sex lives or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We just give them my heart, you see. And these people bought a false gospel. They bought the lie that Jesus is your problem solver, so when the problems don't go away, when they're not living their best life now, they give up on Jesus. Essentially, I think this is what's going on in the deconstruction movement in the church. You have a lot of young people that grew up in the church and uh, they grew up with the ask Jesus into your heart and feel the love message. And now they're young adults and they realize they're not feeling the love too much and it's easy to just bail out on it. They've discovered that the world is painful They've discovered that it's hard to follow Jesus, and they become critical of Christianity. See, that's a shallow response to Jesus. As long as he makes me feel good, I'm committed to following him, but the moment pain comes, I become disillusioned and I walk away. The third type of soil is the thorny soil. This is the faith that dies slowly, little by little over time. This person hears the word, and they welcome it, The problem is they welcome everything else too. It's interesting, isn't it, that the thorny soil is marked by pleasures and the the shallow soil is marked by pain. Pain and pleasure are two things that will take us away from Jesus maybe faster than anything else, right? So the thorny soil is pleasure. Did you notice that? He says the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things, what do they do? They choke out. The word don't they the previous soil we looked at shallows marked by pain right they receive the word when it gets hard they leave this person the thorny soil they don't give up they just fade away because pleasures have distracted them they've just choked out the seed and I see this dynamic all the time let me just apply it to a couple of folks like I see this word I see this getting this happening of single people the word gets choked out of single people. Like, she's, she's a Christian young lady, and she's got a dream. She's going to marry a guy who's sold out for Jesus on fire for God. But that's kind of hard to find, so next thing you know, she's going to find a Christian guy. And that gets hard to find, so let's just find a guy that goes to church. And that gets hard to find, so let's just find a good guy. And next thing you know, she's married to a man who doesn't love Jesus, and they live in a house divided. It got choked. It happens to married people. As newlyweds, you devote your future to God. You're determined you're going to build your home on Christ as the foundation. And you're going to be on fire for Jesus, and your household is going to be a lighthouse to your neighborhood, and you're going to be on mission as a couple. And then, well, you got school bills and you both have jobs, and then you buy a house, and then the kids come, and then the dogs, and the bills, and before you know it, you don't have a Christ-centered on-mission home. You have a a comfort-driven, consumer-centered home with a Christian label. Or the word gets choked out in churches. happens to churches all the time. We begin lean and on fire. We're going to win this city for Christ. And then we get organized and we form committees and we build structures, we manage budgets, we develop traditions. And next thing you know, before you know it, you can't remember the last time your church led anybody to Christ. The word gets choked in Christian parents. Christian parents, you, your baby's conceived and you just believe that she or he is just a miracle from God. You're like, oh, man, the anointing is on this one, right? And, and you're praying for that, and it's going to be awesome. She, she or he, she's going to light the world on fire. And then she or he is born, and you dedicate that baby to the Lord, and you just give that baby over. And, oh, this is going to be a Samuel. You know, you start prophesying over, oh, this is going to be a world changer right here, this child. And then, you know, they're going to change everything. And then then... It's school, and it's activities, and it's sports, and it's jobs, and it's friends. And before you know it, he's 17 and not walking with God. But he's really good at basketball. You see how the word gets choked? It's a slow death in the thorny soil. It gets choked You say, well, how do do you change this? Like how does a hardened heart, how does a shallow heart, how does a thorny heart, like how how do I change that response? How do I break out of that? It's not great news, but the best answer is a storm. There's nothing like a good storm in a person's life to shake them up and to clear out all the clutter and to bring them back to the foundation to square one. You know, sometimes God has to wreck the ship In order to save the sailor that's the truth and you know some of us are sitting here and man your ship's been wrecked so many times you're still not responding what will it take so then we come to the good soil that's the fourth one the good soil, obviously, this is the best way to respond to God's Word. I mean, clearly, in the way that Jesus tells it. This is the person who responds to God's Word. They take it in, they, they, and then they press in for more. Like, they take the Word, and like, I want more of the Word, and I want to understand that more. And they receive it, and they work with it, and they, stay, they dig into it, and they apply it to their lives. See, they want Jesus to change them, so they apply the Word to their lives, Right? And what happens is this person produces fruit. And and fruit is two things. Let's just define fruit this way fruit is your character, it's the character of Christ. And fruit is also the impact that you have on the world around you. Fruit is those two things it's character and it's impact. It's character. You become more like Jesus, you become more mature, like the questions we began with this morning. Like your attitudes, your feelings, your thoughts, your words, your actions, those start to get shaped by Jesus, right? And then there's also the impact that you have on the world around you. And you notice that some 30, some 60, some 100, what was sown? So be encouraged, okay? Uh, Whether your life is producing 30, 60, 100, that's really not the point. The point is you're producing, That's the point. There's an impact to the world around you. I love the fact that God's not looking for superstars, don't you? Because I'm not a superstar. Most days, I don't even think I'm in the universe. You know what I mean? Like, star, wow. I'm like barely an asteroid. You know what I mean? I'm space dust do you feel like that sometimes, if I'm following that analogy, right? God's not looking for superstars, you know? He's just looking for men and women who will receive his word, who will humbly receive his word and then respond to it. Because remember, that word's powerful. If that word has a chance to get in your heart, and you begin, you, you let that thing get in there, and you let that begin to work in you, and you start working it, that word is going to change you over time. And Mark wraps up this little section in chapter 4 with three more short parables. And we're not going to read them for the sake of time, but just look at them quickly. Would You, you have three parables, one about a lamp and two more about seed. You see that? And so the first one is this, and, all th- and these three go together. They finish off this section in Mark. So you have a story about a lamp on a stand. The purpose of a lamp is to Shine. The purpose of the seed in your hand is to spread it, is to plant it. A seed does no good in your pocket. It has to come into contact with soil. A seed has no power if it's not in the soil. Follow? And so the same with a light that is useless if it doesn't shine. A seed is useless if it's not planted. And so put that seed in your hand, get busy planting it. And then verse 25 is a warning. And here's how this goes. Essentially, it's this. The faith that you enjoy in Jesus is intended to be given away. And if it's if you insist on just keeping it to yourself, if you insist on not really responding to it and not letting it change you, like if you insist on that, then you're in danger of losing it. That's verse 25. And then he has the parable of the growing seed, and that's just encouraging because it's like, it's like this. How does a seed grow? How does all this work? Anybody know? do know. Do you know how it works? Then write a book. You'll be a millionaire, right? Nobody knows how this works. It's a miracle. You put that seed in there and it just grows. It does its thing. Yeah. See? That's the, that's the point of that next parable about the seed. The farmer plants it. He doesn't know how it happens, but he wakes up and, hey, look at that there's a squash in the garden. Hey, I didn't put the squash there. It just came up by itself. And he says the same thing works in the Word of God. As you're spreading the seed, you don't know how that works. You don't know how it changes somebody. But then you see it work, you say, it's a miracle. It's encouraging. So see, the cool thing for you and me is this. As the farmer, the cool thing is, is the pressure's off. I... All I get to do is just share the seed, right? I'm not responsible for what happens after that. Like, there's stuff that goes on after that that's totally out of my control, isn't there? My job is simply to just share it. Just be real with it. Be out there. Live my faith out loud. Like, that's my job. And the Lord just does the rest, see? And then this last story is the story of the mustard seed, and many people are familiar with this little mustard seed story, but essentially this is Jesus' vision for where we're going to and what we're doing. This is Jesus' vision for the kingdom of which you and I are a part of. See, we, we have to kind of snap out of this mindset that I need to make a big splash in order to make a big difference. I don't have to do that. The movement of which you and I are a part, catch this, the movement of which you and I are a part as Christians began as a mustard seed, and it now spans the entire globe. Follow that? Like, here's an acorn. I uh, brought that out of my backyard. Here's an acorn. You see one seed, but can you see the forest in that acorn? Because there is a forest in there, isn't there? This acorn becomes one oak tree. That oak tree drops more acorns, which become more oak trees, which become more acorns. See, there's a whole forest in this one seed. So don't underestimate the power of just one seed. Don't underestimate the power of the movement that you and I are part of. Don't underestimate the power of... of a small group of us meeting around flagpoles for 10 nights in a row, just praying, just, just asking God to work. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you think, oh, did anything big happen? And I, I almost hate that question. Like, hey, well, what happened? And as though, as though like, you know, if, if the fire didn't fall and the dead didn't rise, like, then it must have not really been a very good prayer meeting. And I'm like, no, not at all. You know what happened? We scared the bejeebers out of hell. That's what we did. For ten nights in a row. You know what's happened? We claimed our schools for Jesus. Ten nights in a row. That's what's happened. See, it's an acorn. You think it's just so small, it's not a big deal. But give that thing to God, plant that thing in the soil, and you will be shocked at the results of it. You see? This is the kingdom. This is the power of the kingdom that you and I are a part of. Jesus has given us a vision for what it is that we're doing. Farmers, farmers, he's giving us a vision for what we're doing. See, Jesus, you know, he compared his own death to the planting of a seed. In John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Many. You know, on the day that Jesus died, he looked like an abysmal failure. He did. Yet, 2,000 years later, hundreds of millions, if not billions, of people on this planet have pledged their allegiance to him and found the purpose and the freedom and the forgiveness in the life that he came to give. Isn't that astounding? See, so how about you? Like, what will you do with Jesus? See what I mean? What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with the, with the seed that you've been given in your own life, you know? The big message here in chapter 4, and Karis, you can come. <clears throat> the big message here in chapter 4 is application. Isn't that really the difference between the good soil and the other three soils? is really what they do with it, isn't it? It's application. It's, that's how I respond. It's, it's not just, it's not, an application is not just a, a decision that I make emotionally, right? It's not that camp decision. It's not, oh, like that's a great start to sign the card and say, yes, I will, Lord. Like that's a great start, but it doesn't end there. Wouldn't you agree? Like application needs to happen. So that's the difference, really, between a disciple, between a good soil, the people of good soil, and the other three responses. Remember last week we looked at verse, chapter 3, and we looked at those different responses to Jesus. In a sense, these four seeds, these four soils, rather, are similar to those four different responses that we talked about last week in chapter 3. They were fleshed out for us. It's one thing to have an emotional connection to Jesus and to think that he's really great as long as he helps me out. It's quite another thing to say, okay, Jesus, I'm, I'm all in and I'm willing to do the work to follow you. I'm, I'm willing to do the work to, to receive your word and let it change me, let it do its thing in me. I'm willing to do the work that when I don't understand something, <clears throat> I don't just say, well, that's weird, and walk away. But I actually dig in and I try to understand it. I talk to a Christian friend, we try to work through it. Because do you see that maybe you not understanding it might be God's way of taking you deeper? I, I said this, a, I say this before, I, I think, you know, God gave us a mind just so he can blow it I do, I think so (laughs) he he did but it's not enough to just go, oh yeah, wow I don't get that and walk away I need to say, okay Lord, I don't get that, now I need to dig in now I need to understand now I need to call up somebody we need to talk through this you know. and then it's not just now I have good notes now it's, okay, now what do I do with this So, Father, thank you for this word. I pray, Lord, that it has found its way into good soil. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.